Okay, hi everyone. Welcome to another Prog Report podcast. Really excited about the episode we have here today. Thanks again for checking out all our previous Prog Report Top 5 podcasts that we've done on, you know, Neil Morris and Dream Theater and, and Mike Portnoy and Deer Hunter one we just did was really successful and all the different uh, My Prog 5 episodes, recent one with Bumblefoot that was really cool. And everything again is available on our iTunes channel. Uh, YouTube channel, Google Play. You can find everything on our website. And uh, just make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at The Prog Report for all future updates and uh, notifications on new, uh, you know, new podcasts and things we're going to be doing. Like I've said in doing these podcasts, we've tried to focus on some of the bigger artists in Prague and, uh, and some of the lesser known ones as well and shed some light on some new music. Today we're going to focus on perhaps the biggest artist in progressive rock, if he even likes to be called progressive rock anymore, and that's another debate that we can get into. But I have a, a really uh, exciting and uh, uh, exemplary panel here of two guys that are super familiar with Stephen Wilson, who is the uh, topic of today's podcast. We're going to focus on the top five Stephen Wilson albums, and that is going to be everything from his career. So it doesn't have to be just solo, it'll include Porcupine Tree and uh, possibly things like No Man or Blackfield or whatever these guys want to pick. So uh, let me do a couple of introductions. The first guy is uh, Anil Prasad, who is founder and editor of Interviews, uh, which is the first online magazine. I believe it was started in 1994. He's written probably more about Stephen Wilson than any of us online journalists and, uh, and, and knows him well. Very excited to have him. Uh, he's certainly an expert. So, Anil, thank you for being here. Great to be here. Second is uh, Hayo Muller, who is uh, from Germany, doing this call away from Germany. And uh, a lot of people may or may not know, but he actually was the guy behind all the artwork and illustration and cover art behind the Raven that refused to sing album. He's a brilliant illustrator, graphic artist, photographer for Stephen Wilson. Uh, again, somebody well uh, versed in all things Stephen Wilson. So, Hayo, thank you for being here. I'm happy to be here. This was a challenge to put together. We, we tried to do the podcast a, a, a couple of times and constantly had to reschedule and, and finally we're able to get this going. We have, I mean, Anil, you're over, are you in LA right now? And Hayo, you're in, you're in Germany, is that right? Yeah. I'm in San Francisco, so yeah, yeah West Coast. In San Francisco, West Coast. So yeah, the, getting the time difference together with... Uh, this type of scope is is challenging in itself, but uh, we made it happen. So thank you again for being here, guys, and and thanks to everybody that's listening. I think it's going to be a a fun one. So what we're going to try and do is uh, each take turns uh, like we've done before. And, um, you know, I guess maybe I'll throw it to to you, Anil. You want to start with your uh, fifth choice, and we'll count down to one. We'll go from there. Sure. I'm actually, believe it or not, going to start with No Man. And No Man was the... uh, act that first introduced me to Stephen. That's obviously his partnership with singer-songwriter Tim Bowness, and uh, coexisted with Porcupine Tree for uh, quite a while and uh, may return to this day. But their 1996 album, Wild Opera, really hit me very, very hard. Uh, an incredibly diverse uh, 
maybe even avant pop album um, with some progressive rock influences, trip hop, dub, electronica, um, you know, an album that was, you know, wildly all over the map. And um, you really didn't know what you were going to get next with uh, every subsequent track that you played on it. And uh, there's actually this sort of uh, trilogy of songs that comes up uh, between, um, there's a song called My Rival Trevor, going into time travel in Texas, into My Revenge on Seattle, um, which I think, you know, th those three songs together, you know, represent some of the most uh, creative early work that I think Stephen did uh, in the mid-90s. So that's where I'm going to start. Out of the sky Left to die Leaving a lie of protection Let me ask you about that because I wanted to actually get a, a little background about your, you know, relationships each of you with with Stephen. But when you uh, first discovered No Man, you you weren't aware of Porcupine Tree. How soon did you get into Porcupine Tree, and 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 then when did your relationship personally with Stephen have come into play? So uh, via interviews, someone uh, you know implored me to listen to No Man. Um, they said you're going to love this band. Robert Fripp has worked with them. You know, it's got this uh, amazing, uh, you know, multi-instrumentalist, um, omni-talented guy named Stephen Wilson in it, this incredibly great singer-songwriter, Tim Bowness. Um, and these guys have listened to virtually, like, every genre of music. Uh, you know, their palette is, you know, so expansive um, that, uh, you know, people thought it would be right down my alley. So uh, I believe began with an album called Flower Mouth and, uh, you know, then going into Wild Opera. And then I started tracking them, you know, after that point and uh, chose to pursue an interview with uh, No Man, uh, you know, around the Wild Opera era. And uh, that's kind of where it started. It started with an interview. And um, I think it was one of the uh, first people to take a, a fairly serious interest um, in what Stephen was doing. I think he uh, realized that. I'm sure there were other people as well. But uh, that led to, you know, a lot of subsequent interviews. Um, you know, eventually, obviously, uh, elevating as, as Stephen's uh, profile increased. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Who could have seen that coming, right? Well, how big and uh, prolific he is now, you know, unexpected, especially that period of time when this kind of music wasn't something that was, was popular at all. So pretty cool for him. So Hayo, uh, let's, let's drive into your number five. Well, I think my number five from, from a very personal kind of view is um, Bass Communion, uh, Ghost on Magnetic Tape. 
what I can say about it, uh, there are two things that are very important to me when I, when I think about Stephen's music. The one thing is sh surely that I simply um, love the way he's doing the music, that he's uh, trying to do something very different every time, that he's changing a lot um, the mood in, in his music. The other thing is um, that um, his music was always uh, a kind of inspiration to me. And uh, working as an illustrator, or especially as an illustrator, as a creative, uh, as a designer, um, music was always very important to me as kind of inspiration. And um, besides that, I, I also like to, to listen to, to, to movie scores, for example. And uh, or simply uh, very instrumental, sometimes very abstract things. Um, Steam's music is something that uh, shows me a lot of different kind of type of music, uh, especially in the electronic way. Um, I, I generally like the, the, the stuff of bass communion um, a lot, but Ghost on Magnetic Tape is something um, that uh, where I can listen to the complete record and I'm very deep in it. Um, it's surely not uh, the happy stuff, surely not. It's surely more a dark kind of stuff. But when I listen to, to Ghost on Magnetic Tape, then I'm really, um, I can draw uh, with this music on my mind very, very well. And um, usually I'm very productive um, <laughs> when I'm listening to it. That's great. When did you get personally acquainted with Stephen? When did you meet him and get to know him? Uh, well, our contact started uh, pretty exactly 10 years ago. I, I needed um, nearly two years to, to find the courage to contact him. Um, I discovered uh, Stephen because of Pocketry and Deadwing. I will some, say some things about that later. But, um, uh, and it felt to me from the beginning that there is a mixture in his music and the mixture in the music of Pokemon Tree that really reminded me of the things when I draw for myself. And um, as I told my, friend, my, my, my girlfriend at this time that one day I will find the courage to, to try to contact this band and, and the master of this band, the head of this band, <laughs> and maybe then uh, they will be, uh, they would like to make, that they, that they could make a cover for them or anything like this. It took me more, uh, nearly two years to find the courage, but then I sent him the portfolio um, um, with support by um, the record company at this time in Germany. And um, he liked especially the drawings from the beginning. And so from this time, we kept in touch. And uh, in a few months later, it started then, uh, our collaboration started then for the first time with some things for, for Pokemon Street, the incident. This was the beginning. Oh, that's exciting. That's very cool that he that you reached out and he and he responded and, and now you get to work with them. That's that's awesome. You know, I like that you guys are going a little bit out there with No Man and Base Communion and we're going to act looks like we're going to include a lot of different things from his work. I'm probably going to go a little bit more down the middle with with 
Porcupine Tree and Solo stuff. But my number five is is going to be uh, Hand Kanadi Race from just a couple years ago from from 2015. Uh, I know a lot of people consider this maybe even his best album or his, or his masterpiece. I certainly love it. I first got into Stephen with Porcupine Tree, the In Absentia stuff, which I'll talk about when it's going to be one of my picks later on. But with Hand Kanadi Race. I was really, really impressed with the album because coming off The Raven, which I considered a masterpiece at the time, I wasn't sure what he was going to do. And uh, initially from even the, the, the previews online when that album came out, you just started to hear such amazing musicianship. And uh, I mean, the band that he had at that time uh, is just one of the best uh, bands uh, somebody could put together. And the diversity... Uh, and, and risks that he was able to take with stuff like Perfect Life and making that the first single, like a spoken word track, you know, and, and Routine, which is just the most intense, beautiful song ever. Um, and, I, and I like uh, Three Years Older uh, uh, as well. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's my number five. So I think uh, Hand Cannot Erase is a brilliant album. I was going to have it as my number four. And uh, I think it was uh, a hugely successful, you know, uh, hybrid project, um, you know, taking, you know, some of the best of his progressive rock influences and really combining it very strongly with some pop elements, uh, you know, and with a uh, bigger picture, you know, uh, you know, rock perspective, um, you know, going beyond prog, going beyond pop, you know, taking in some modern rock influences as well. Um, I think the narrative story arc was really quite superb and really kind of reflective of a lot of things uh, going on in society. The idea that, you know, we can have these lives and social media, you know, in the electronic sphere, and then yet be so disconnected from people, you know, out there in the real world. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of, a lot to say there. I think you really picked a very resonant topic. Um, and you have these giant instrumental passages and you have these kind of what I think are, you know, brilliant pop moments. I think the title track hand cannot erase is one of the uh, best things he's ever written. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a personal component to hand cannot erase. I happened to be uh, in London while they were making that album at air studio. So I got invited over which was a hugely uh, privileged moment. Um, so I got to see them putting this thing together. Um, 
seeing the you know blood, sweat, and tears that went into this. You know, five people in a room working really, really hard to capture something you know very organic and in the moment. And I think uh, it really is a special album, and uh, I'm glad it got a lot of attention at the time. You know, it was interesting when that album came out. It's the first time I started to see people online like on facebook and different people that that i knew uh, or, or even sort of vague acquaintances that started to uh post about stephen wilson from that album going you guys should check this guy out he's amazing like they first discovered him really which was amazing to me there's this guy that's been around for like 25 years and it was like the first time people in america were, were finding out who he was it's, it's it's anyway hard for me to understand. Actually, I don't understand it. That someone who's who's writing so beautiful melodies, so many many beautiful melodies for so many years, for more than twenty five years, although they're surely not the typical pop song format. But um, he's writing so many melodies that I, I can't understand that he's not much more famous for many many years now. Yeah, I got to see the uh, I got to see that tour in in New York at the Beacon Theater, and he happened to be. Uh, they announced in the beginning of the show in the loudspeaker that he was sick and wasn't going to be able to sing. Uh, he ended up coming out. Um, the guitarist sang, and he had uh, Nanette with him, and she sang a lot of the songs. And then he sang maybe two or three songs, sort of towards the end, some things that were a little easier for him to sing, not stretch his voice. Um, but uh, it was still an amazing show, and she was uh, she brought the house down to, uh, with lead vocals on half the half the songs. I mean, it was amazing. Yeah, and the great irony of that show was it got reviewed by Rolling Stone. I believe it did. I was uh, sitting behind David Frick, who was, and I recognized him obviously, and I was sitting right behind him. Uh, and yeah, he he did a great review of it, which was really cool. So that was your number four, then, Anil. We we sort of uh, segued right into it. It was my number four, indeed. All right, perfect. Hayo, your turn. Uh, first, I have to say that I was really struggling what I have to take as number four. Hank Not Erase was one thing, uh, one record, because I also think it's it's an amazing record, um, especially because of Regret number nine, uh, and I also like Every Returns Battle. But finally, my decision is Intergentis uh, on number four, okay. um, the first solo record. To me, it seems that Intergentis is maybe all in all a little bit underrated. Um, on one hand, there is one of my um, favorite tracks of Stephen ever on this on this album, what is Harmony Corinne. Yeah. Um, but on the, on the other hand, there is so much beauty on this album that has to be discovered. It is it is um, it is to me a perfect balance between very melodic things and very, very, um, very individual things. And on the other hand, was where he's combinating it with, with some noises. And uh, it's, it's a very a personal, to me it seems, it's just my opinion, a very personal thing of Stephen. Maybe the, the big step outside um, from Porcupine Tree. And um, I really liked it from the beginning, but I discovered it in a new way just a few months ago. And um, when I compare it to the other stuff, then it seems to me that this record is really underrated. It's, it's, it's also such tracks like the title track, for example, or um, um, Get All You Deserve, they are really, to me, these are tracks which are really amazing.
You know what's weird about that album for me is I was a huge fan of his at the time with Porcupine Tree and Blackfield and all this other stuff he was doing. And then he puts out that solo album and it completely just went right by me. I, I, I don't even think I listened to it for the first couple of years when it was out. It, I don't know why. I can't even explain it. It's just something that went completely under my radar. Uh, maybe it's because in America, just some stuff, you know, you miss, I guess. But I went back to it after uh, uh, Grace for Drowning and, uh, and discovered it. it. Yeah, brilliant record. And you could see definitely he was trying to stretch out from what Porcupine Tree was doing with that album. Yeah, it was almost an underground release in some ways. Yeah. Uh, and it was, uh, you know, an incredibly diverse album. Uh, I love that album a lot. It was very difficult to put together this top five. You know, that could have easily been on mine as well. It is, yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it, it was a struggle for sure. I left out a lot of albums that I, that I really like. Um, all right, so uh, my number four, uh, going to go back a little bit to an earlier Porcupine Tree album, uh, Lightbulb Sun from, from 2000. I, dis- I discovered the later Porcupine Tree stuff first, and then I started to go back and, and uh, found out that he had released all these albums you know, going back to, you know, uh, Signify and, and all that stuff and started just eating all those up over the course of just some months. And um, this one always just really stuck with me. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people that had issues with To The Bone or concerns about the new album and, and say he's going pop and stuff. I think if you go and you listen to Lightbulb Sun, it's absolutely the same. There's stuff on there that is easily pop driven. He has a couple of long songs like Rush on Ice, which just was insane. And uh, Hate Song, which I love, just says it's an amazing bass groove. Um, the title track is brilliant. Um, you know, I think this was somebody that at the time was just really showing he could do anything. And it was just right before they, they started to hit it big with, with the more rock stuff and, and signing with Atlantic and everything. Um, but that album is still one that I always go back to. I like all of it. I like The Rest Will Flow, all, all, that, all the pop stuff on there. It's a fantastic album to me. So that's, that's my number four pick. And it's a quiet light that leaks from my head These are the last rites
Well, the, the retro flow is, is a very good example to me that I, that I'm not really, I can't really understand the, the, the pop discussion at the moment because the retro flow is really, to me, it sounds like a hit single. I, I, I'm yeah. really surprised that it never was. It's really a, a pure pop song and a great one. Uh, as a few one, I absolutely agree on, on that pop song that is really a pop album. I, I think I don't really like the. I understand what the people are, what want, to, want to tell, but I really don't like the discussion at the moment that they are so. Um, so uh, there's such strong reactions um, about the pop album of Steve Wilson. Stephen had always pop influences, always, and yeah. he, never, he never really um, hided it. Never. Yeah, I, I think that uh, to me, artists like this that can do uh, an album with a song like Light Bulb Sun and The Rest Will Flow next to a song like Rush On Ice, that's what I like. To me, a whole album of Rush On Ice would be also very good, but not as diverse or exciting or interesting to me as what he ended up doing with the album this way, personally. Yeah, and, when, and when you take Steven's catalog back into the you know early to mid-90s, like Choosing No Man As I Did, the pop influences are just rife all throughout them. And yeah. um, I think with To The Bone, which is a very fine album, by the way, um, well, I think it reflects the fact that so much of his fan base, you know, was incubated, you know, in the Atlantic years of Porcupine Tree. Um, so if, uh, you know, the conversation we're having today, you know, makes people dive into the 90s uh, era of his career, I think uh, they'll find a lot to like. Yeah, agreed. Absolutely. So let's see, we're, down, we're on number three, Anil. So my number three, one uh, obviously Ohio was heavily involved in, is Stephen's solo album, The Raven That Refused to Sing. Um, I think it is a modern progressive rock classic. You know, again, another, uh, you know, great series of connected stories. Uh, Stephen is very, very good at writing about very dark things. Yeah. You know, the title track, you know, is the story of, you know, an old man at the end of his life waiting to die. He was kind of reflecting <laughs> back on his childhood and, uh, you know, Ohio artwork, his artwork, you know, his concepts play into this as well. Um, you know, just very evocative, very, very beautiful uh, as well in its darkness. Um, I think Holy Drinker on there is just this, you know, fantastic, you know, prog rave up, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, about this very kind of preachy, you know, religious, righteous guy. I think it was based on, uh, you know, TV evangelists. Um and uh, obviously here in the United States, a lot of resonance, uh, you know, politically uh, at the moment and at the time that was released. Uh, I think everyone was really uh, blown away, uh, you know, that knew his work when that came out. And uh, I think it, uh, you know, really helped establish, uh, you know, his path as a solo artist going forward, which obviously he chose to veer from with To The Bone to a, to a degree. But, uh, you know, you can point to pop moments within Raven as well. Yeah, uh, brilliant album, mind-blowing to me to this day. And uh, yeah, I agree, a masterpiece. You need to clear away All the gentlemen in your brain And face the truth Well, love you make a man while the darkness always ends, you're still alone. So try. 
Hi, I'm curious with, with you, maybe you're going to talk about it, but at what point did your involvement come in with that album? Okay, I have, I have to, to keep, I try to keep it short, it's not so easy. <laughs> no, no. This is a longer story. Okay, um, um, after, Stephen and me, we had a break after the incident. Uh, we were all, all the time in touch, but uh, there was no collaboration, except this very small one for his solo album, um, where he's doing the, um, the, the instrumental stuff, uh, where he did the cover version, yeah. And um, I, I um, gave him a personal project in 2011, uh, what I did just for myself, it was a uh, 132-pages book. It was completely done by myself, designed, written, um, illustrated, photographed. And he liked it a lot. And he said, we have to, to work together again soon, if any possible. And um, in the beginning of 2012, I got back from, from my uh, Christmas holidays. Uh, and I spent those holidays in a very moody uh, surrounding here in Germany. It's called the Westerwald. And um, it was not clear to me what to do in 2012, so I thought about um, uh, to, to make a new story, to, to create a new story, and would surely send it to Stephen later. And um, the story was about, about an old man and a raven. And um, I, about three weeks later, at the end of January, I have written that to Stephen that there is this idea of an old man who is very lonely and very sad and because he lost his sister and that he, be, that he gets a very special relationship to a raven. And Stephen loved it from the beginning. And he said that he is working on very similar stuff on, um, on stories uh, which are ghost stories in a very um, classical way, in a, like a Poe style. And he asked me if he would... If, you would like, if I would like to collaborate with him uh, for this project, and of course I wanted to. This was a dream come true to, to make such a big album with him. And um, he said to me, I, I, I wrote to him, this is a funny thing, that in, in German the, the, the title is called Der Rabe, der sich weigerte zu singen. And I translated it in The Raven, which refused to sing. And he smiled and said, no, it's called That Refused to Sing. Yeah? And um, this was the beginning, this was the start for our collaboration. And he said to me, actually pretty early, that he likes the title so much that this will probably be the title of the album. I, I couldn't believe that uh, until it was in the record stores and it was, it was out. And um, he, he told me that uh, for the story, to write the song, Randolph refused to sing, that I should write um, uh, a copy to him um, so that he can take this as an, as an inspiration for the, for the song. And I sent um, a script, a plot from about uh, one page, and five days later, um, the, the, uh, the demo for the song was finished, and I was really blown away by the song from the beginning. And he asked me from the beginning that I should write the story uh, completely. It was very important to him that I would write the first version of the story of the Raven that refused to sing. And um, uh, I did, and he revised it uh, with all his experience in writing. And I'm writing stories from time to time, but I'm, I'm far not so experienced like Rex Stephen, for example. And um, he revised it, and in, in the beginning, my story had about 20 pages. He revised it, and finally, it had 12 pages. But he took more than 80% of the ideas I had in the story, 
what was very impressive to me uh, to see uh, how um, how elegant and how experienced he was able to to re uh, revise the story I, I started with. And uh, well, this is, was the beginning of the Raven, and it was a um, it was a, a steady communication per mail. Um, uh, then I came with the other idea for the story of Drive Home, which is more than, in the meantime, 17 years old. Um, and yeah, the rest, I think, is known in the, in the meantime. Wow, that's, that's awesome. That is amazing. I love the whole thing. That song, the video you guys did, uh, amazing. Brilliant stuff. Yeah, I mean, Hayo's visual identity for that album was brilliant. Um, it looked incredible on stage, on the cover. Yeah. All the merchandise. It's my favorite Stephen Wilson t-shirt. <laughs> um, you know, another thing about the Raven that, that we should mention is that it had a lot of jazz and jazz rock influences and, you know, a really strong presence from Theo Travis and on that tour as well. And I think that really added a unique flavor to, to the, the sound of that uh, as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. It really does represent, I think one of the, the, the greatest creative and collaborative moments for Stephen. uh, you know, both from an audio and, and, video, and visual uh, perspective with Hayo. Yeah, amazing. We'll get into that album, I'm sure, maybe a couple of times <laughs> again. Uh, Hayo, I, so you just spoke, but you, actually we're up to your number three, Hayo, so why don't you go ahead again? Yeah, my number three is Porcupine Tree's Deadwing. Okay. Um, Deadwing was, to me, it's, uh, the start with Stephen in generally. Mm -hmm. Deadwing was the record where I um, discovered Stephen's music. Uh, the funny thing is that at this time I didn't know who Stephen is, and uh, I don't know how he how how he looks like. And when I saw the first band photos of Porcupine Tree, I thought the man with the hat would be Stephen. <laughs> so, <I thought, laughs> so I thought Colin Edwin would be Stephen. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, it took just just a very short while to, to realize no, it's a man with the glasses behind. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really love that wing. I still love it. Uh, I think, in generally, I can say that um, all of the five records I, I'm telling about today uh, are records where I really like every song on the record. If I, I, I try to to make a selection, um, how long a show would be or a record would be, if I would select all the things I like of Stephen in one record, I, I think it's something between six, six and seven hours. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, but um, uh, Deadwing is another example of me where I really like every song, every track, and um, I like really the the hard stuff here. And my my start with Stephen because when I started to to to, to listen to Porcupine Tree, I was listening a lot to metal stuff, and so my start for Stephen was shallow, a really hard rocker, and surely an extra extraordinary one uh, till today of Stephen in this way. Yeah? Uh, you know, I'm I'm gonna just to go right into mine because my number three is also Deadwing, and uh, so I agree with you. A brilliant album. What's weird is that he he does say that he likes the album, but it comes it wasn't a real full band Porcupine Tree album, right? It started a couple of songs were going to be for a soundtrack, and the movie ended up not happening, and then he pulled the band together and. And uh, and they did a couple of the other songs. I think on a few of them, it's just him and maybe Gavin playing on a few songs on that album. Um, but what I what I liked about that album at the time, I'm I, I, up until about this one came out in 2005. For me, I hadn't experienced Porcupine Tree as a new album yet. 
everything was or had already been out and I was going backwards all the time. And this was the first new release that I was anticipating um, that was coming out. And, uh, you know, again, I was just so blown away at the, the scope of what he was covering on one album. You know, Lazarus is, again, it's one of the most beautiful pop songs ever um, next to something like Arriving Somewhere, which is which is amazing prog metal sort of track. Um, to me, that was everything I was looking for in music at, at that time, especially around 2005. And uh, I, I just remember thinking when that album came out, I was listening to it at the time, I'm like, this band is, this is the top band right now. No one is sounding as good as this. There was no band sounding as good as what he was doing at the time. I thought it was at another level above everybody. And um, I was so impressed at the time. It just cemented my, my love of his music right then from, from that album. Deadwing is a very good example to me how Stephen's music usually works. Not, not in the meantime anymore. I'm, I'm faster in it. But I really needed a few weeks to come in. But when I, when I get in this music, when, when I get this music, I was really addicted. I, I think for, for, more, for, for several months, I didn't listen to anything else. Yeah, yeah, I felt the same way about it at the time. There just wasn't anything like it. Not, not, not in 2005 that I can think of. Okay, moving on to our number twos, Anil. All right, well, I'm going to pick In Absentia, actually, the first uh, major label album uh, Porcupine Tree did back in 2002. And obviously, In Absentia and Deadwing are, you know, completely, you know, inextricably, <laughs> you know, related. Um, but uh, I had been listening to Stephen for a long, long time before In Absentia. So In Absentia was almost a shock to the system when it came out. Um, and I'm going to completely admit to you, I had no idea where it was coming from uh, to a certain degree. Um, at times, it was almost unrecognizable to me um, as it related to Stephen's prior work. And I realized there was some heavy rock, there was some metal influence, a little bit, in some of the earlier stuff. But In Absentia was kind of almost like a, a sonic body blow. Yeah. when I heard it and it took me quite a while to get used to. And, uh, it was interesting when I realized that this was a path that 
he was going to be going down uh, with uh, you know this new version of Porcupine Tree. Um, it actually introduced me to, to a whole new world of sort of uh, you know new metal. But um, you know it's also you know full of some amazing bop songs like Trains, which endures to this day. Um, and uh, you know I think he's resurrecting some music from from this uh, album. Uh, on tour yeah. as a solo artist to the yeah, stage. He's, he's playing a few songs on the tour now, which is great. Yeah, so the, 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 the album has a current resonance as well, but I think songs like Trains, The Sound of Muzak, Strip the Soul, which is, you know, almost funky at times, you know, uh, really, I thought it was a, a hugely strong record. I think really obviously put that band on the map globally. Um, again, Stephen's very, very dark perspectives, you know, talking about serial killers, you know, all, all kinds of observations about, uh, you know, the issues the modern world, uh, you know, you know, is facing, um, you know, serial killers, I believe, uh, I, I think uh, emerged on this one and would emerge again, you know, on, on other albums sort of, you know, the dark sides of humanity, you know, explored in a very, very deep way. And, uh, you know, it stood the test of time. I listened to it again for the first time in a while. And, uh, you know, I, I still think it's one of the strongest moments in his back home. What's your number two? I have to say again, it was really hard to select. <laughs> I can completely understand any of his says in absentia, um, which a few also favorite tracks ever. I mean, like Lips of Ashes, for example. But nevertheless, <laughs> I have chosen Fear of Blank Planet. For, okay. for um, As I said, this is also a record where I like every track. Uh, I really like, I love the monster uh, anesthetized which is really a monster, especially live. It is really something with woe, blows you away. But um, I think I really like the straight way this this album works, like in the title track, for example, and um, the really, uh, I would even say, steamy, raw energy, like um, in Sleep Together, for example, you can experience many, many times at the moment live or something. Um, I like them um, melancholy and, and sentimental and way out of here. Um, it, is, it is an album I can start and listen to uh, in one row. There's, there's no stopping. Uh, 
And um, it, it was, I, I listened to it uh, for a while now, not again, but anytime I started, uh, it's always the same. I can't stop. I started with the first track and then I can't stop. Okay, so my number two, I, I didn't want to uh, continue with, with what you were talking about, Anil, but it's also in absentia for me. And, uh, you know, that album, that album was a life-changing album for me. Um, I'll just give a quick story, but that's how I dis discovered the band altogether was because um, so one friend of mine at the time said, I heard of this band Porcupine Tree, and I know you like Dream Theater and that kind of stuff. You might like this band. And um, all I could find online, so I'm trying to think back, I believe this was just before iTunes and, and all that stuff, and there was, you know, you were downloading music from different things uh, where you could find it at the time. And I was able to hear Sound of Music and b blew my mind. Like that one song I thought was the greatest thing I had heard in, in years. And if you know me, that's how I get. I get crazy obsessive. Okay, I like this song. I like this band. I need to find out everything I know. And I spent the next couple of weeks obsessing over downloading anything I could find, researching this band like a crazy person. And um, that's when I started to just get different songs from other albums that he'd done. And I discovered it. And I was like, oh, this, is, this is amazing. Where has this been? It was amazing to me that he had been around that long. I'd never heard of it before. And coincidentally, two weeks later from that first time when I heard that song, he was playing about four hours for me in, uh, in Tampa, Florida at some random club. And so I drove. It was like on a Tuesday night. I drove to Tampa to see this show from this band I've known for two weeks uh, to see this show. And it was, I don't know. I'm going to say 200 people, maybe that might be generous to how many people were in the club. And uh, it was with Gavin and John Wesley was there and they, they premiered stuff like futile, which was ridiculous. And um, I mean, I must've bought five or six CDs from the merch stand, you know, cause I never had that stuff. And I, that became my obsession right from there. And it was amazing. And my only, my biggest regret is uh, not hanging around after the show and getting to talk to him and meet him. And cause at the time they were nothing here in America. Um, and uh, I'm just so happy that it, be, it became a, a big career for him after that. Cause that, that changed my life that, that couple of weeks. It really did. 
of the world is going down It's going down, I know It's one of the blunders of the world And no one cares, no one cares One of the wonders of the world is going down It's going down Number one, Anil. Well, we've already talked about it, but it is Porcupine Tree's Fear of a Blank Planet. Um, I was completely and totally blown away by this record. Um, I thought lyrically uh, the themes it explored, um, <laughs> you know, were so accurate, you know, looking at... Um, you know, the, the world from the view of a, a disaffected 21st century teenager, um, you know, the ideas of attention deficit disorder, the sort of intrusive element of technology. And this is 2007, look at where we are now. But, yeah. uh, you know, Stephen kind of um, foretold, <laughs> you know, the way things were going. I think we've kind of arrived at, at some of this, you know, almost technology, you know, as, as the new social drug uh, for the masses. Um, and, this album explores that in, in a really unique, deep and, and dark way. Um, I think the the songs hold together, you know, as, as a kind of very cohesive suite. Um, the related tour was utterly incredible. Um, uh, the use of, of the films, uh, you know, uh, you know, still <laughs> are kind of etched in my mind today. Um, again, a very, very uh, dark view on, on youth. Um, you know, Hayo mentioned the track Anesthetize, you know, which has Alex Lifeson, uh, you know, of Rush uh, soloing on it. Surely one of the high points of, of Stephen's career and Porcupine Tree's career. I, I never tire of that. I mean, in concert, um, it was, uh, I think, arguably the highlight of that band's career was to see that that song performed. Um you know, it, it just crisscrossing so many influences with it within one piece. I think the title track, Fear of a Blank Planet, is, is stunning and brilliant in every way as well. Um, you know, we have Robert Fripp appearing, you know, again on this album, on, on you know, the, the really uh, brilliant way out of here too. Um, you know, what else I'll say about that album, it was the band, you know, truly firing you know, on all thrusters, collaboratively, chemistry-wise, everything was really working for that band at that time. Um, I think it reflects Porcupine Tree at its apex. Um, Stephen has put out so many recordings over time. There's so much to love. Um, I don't want to discount To the Bone, which I do think is really, really uh, a great album, has so much good uh, stuff on it. But... Uh, you know, I admit, I keep going back to Fear of a Blank Planet. I realize 2007 was a long time ago, <laughs> but uh, I do think it's uh, absolutely brilliant. Let's sleep together. Right now, we leave the pressure. 
Uh, Hayo, uh, you're number one. <laughs> I think okay. I know where we're going, but let's see. Yeah, but, uh, I, I think I have to say sorry, but um, for a really surprise for you all guys, <laughs> <laughs> it, it is a rain, but it's, but it's beside the, let's say, start so, beside the fact that I was listening to the rain um, from the beginning and then almost two years in a row without a break and that there is no song on it which is um, which becomes uh, in any way boring to me even after such a long while and um, and I have to say that I'm actually not the one who is the, the big fan of the 70s progressive rock scene or, or was a big fan of the 70s progressive rock scene before but there are so many really great musical moments on this album where I can listen to it again 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 and again and on the other hand of course it is it is a very personal choose um, this album was something to me where several dreams came true to me in in the collaboration with, with Stephen um, to make a book in this way, the, the uh, 128 pages book, the artwork, the stories. Um, so I'm not I'm not really objective here. Probably <laughs> I think I think it's a brilliant album. But if I have to be honest, then it is the Raven number one. Uh, I don't think we can fault you for that. And I'm gonna I'm gonna second your choice. That's gonna be my number one pick as well. Um, you know I. I was upset for a little while that that porcupine tree was no longer. I was one of those fans. When are they going to get back together? Uh, you know, on and on that kind of stuff. And um, I liked the solo albums, but I I didn't think they were as good as the porcupine tree stuff. The the Raven album to me was was another level. And um, yeah, I am an unabashed longtime prog fan, so that definitely has a sound in there that I that I definitely can can enjoy. But um, I just thought everything about it, even a song like Drive Home is, is just amazing. Um, you know, the, the, the jamming and uh, Luminol. Uh, and, and then I look, it all comes down to me for the title track, which just is a song that it, it, it hits me to my core. And, um, you know, the melody at the end, the Guthrie soloing uh, at the end of that song. I just think it's, it's everything music is that one song to me. It, I, I think it's the best thing he ever wrote. And um, uh, it, it just it blows me away. And I, I think it's one of the best albums that come out in the last 20 years. Say, say, say. 
you know, Anil, you said about to the bone that, that that was that was something you were you know you wanted to give a shout out to, and I do as well. You know, it 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 didn't make my list, but it it might it, it might have been number six to be honest with you. And I because I have I've been listening to it a lot lately. It has stuck around, and 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 the thing that's interesting about that album to me is, at the time, you know, I had a view of it, whatever. I liked it. I wasn't sure how good it would rank, etc. But I find myself almost a year later still listening to it a lot, and I think that's a good sign, and it holds up. And so, um, I think that's an album that, over the long haul, will be looked at as uh, another brilliant album by him, and and not one that's going to be dismissed. Which I think people had a lot of concerns about in the beginning. I would agree. Uh, you know, I think To the Bone has a lot of great stuff to. To, to, to you know really love about it um it, it is another hybrid you know people have been pointing to it as some sort of you know unabashed pop record and certainly it has that moments but it also has some very very serious rock moments as well um and some very evocative songwriting and uh, i'm very much looking forward to seeing that tour when it uh, touches down here in the san francisco bay area next month you know, I, I was th- comparing that album to something like Peter Gabriel. Was he um, considered a sellout or going pop at the time for that album? Because I don't, I mean, I was a lot younger back then. I don't, and, and maybe there wasn't as much press. Oh, no, people were very critical of Peter Gabriel at that time. But yeah. obviously, um, you know, his fan base expanded so dramatically, um, you know, moving up from theaters into arenas and into the stadium world that I think the new fans kind of drowned out the old ones, you know, that were looking back to Peter Gabriel 4 and 3 and early Genesis. But uh, but I think like To the Bone, you know, so had a lot of very serious musical moments as well. Um, so, yeah, I think it's always hard for, for fans of a previous era of an artist like Stephen, uh, you know, and Porcupine Tree to, you know, have their, you know, darling artists suddenly be embraced by a whole lot of people. You know, people like to feel like underground and connected in a very personal way to their musicians. And suddenly when they're, you know, on the BBC or selling at the Royal Albert Hall three nights in a row, <laughs> right. um, you know, having, you know, you know, top five albums, it's, it's an interesting thing for fans, you know, to come to terms with. I mean, in, in Peter Gabriel's case, they transcended that and then, you know, embraced, uh, you know, his, his forward momentum in that way. And I think that will be the same for Steven going forward too. Yeah. I think that's also something that when you're younger, you're uh, a bit more hardcore. You know, if you were 20 when Metallica made the Black Album or Load, that upset you more. Um, but I think at this point being, you know, n- not 20, we'll put it that way. Um, uh, I- I'm happy for more people to hear his music that that's sort of my view. And if that, that, you know, brings you to the table and helps you discover the Raven and end absentia and things like that, all the better. So um, well, one thing I would maybe add as, as from, from a personal view as a creative, one thing I really, really appreciate on Stephen's work is that he never, um, he's never repeating. Surely he has his style. He has his kind of melodies but he's never repeating. I also love To The Bone, definitely. I think it's a great, it's a great pop rock album. It's a very ambition, serious, uh, great pop rock album. Um, I don't like the discussion because it would be so easy for someone like him with his experience and his talent to repeat Hand Kinder De Reyes in any way or to Raven in any way. But right. he, he's always looking for something new. And this is something I, I really, 
I understand him completely. And I think this, this is what makes him so strong as an artist. And this will make him, uh, makes him interesting, probably also in, in, in 20 years. Yeah. People point to, to the bone as this, you know, radical change, this departure, um, you know, without maybe contextualizing it, you know, as this conversation between the three of us, you know, illustrates, you know, he's done a whole lot of stuff <laughs> for right. a very long time. He's been incredibly diverse throughout his career to the bone reflects that as well. And to the bone is just another moment in that career. Um, and if there are people that aren't crazy about To The Bone, well, guess what? There are dozens upon dozens of other recordings for you to go to um, right. where you're going to find something you really love, and there's probably something you're going to really love that he does in the future as well. So it's really interesting how people are getting stuck on just this one album rather than sort of seeing it within the broader continuum. You know, yeah. everything he's done I and will do. Yeah, I mean, I, look, uh, there's every uh, expectation that the next album will not be like To The Bone, you know? It could be more progressive, it could be a pure metal album, he could do an EDM record for all we know, so... Uh, country album, probably a country that's, album. That, that's how the guy is, so... I'm pretty sure that's the one thing he wants. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I agree. Uh, anyway, guys, this was a lot of fun. I love hearing the stories, especially people so close to the artists, having worked with them. Hio, uh, your work with them really just a huge effect on me, and thank you for all of that and for being on this call today. And, and Anil, also, thank you for everything. Stick around for, uh, for more podcasts, more great things in the future, and if you have uh, – tickets to Stephen Wilson on the next show uh, on this upcoming tour, please uh, you know, I'm sure it's going to be great. Enjoy. And um, we'll see you guys again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.